Good job. That was awesome. Go tell it on the mountain. You know, that's more than just a song. It's a call. It's something that we've been given a responsibility to do, to, to go tell, to go share, to go share what God has done in you. Has God touched you with the light of the Almighty, the saving grace of Jesus Christ in your life? If he has, you have received the greatest news of all time. And we should be telling, we should be telling everybody, sharing the grace of God and what God has done. Praise God for what he has done. Amen. I, uh, I want to uh, keep going. You know, this, this year, I, I really do, with all my heart, believe that, that the church is in a, a place of transition, a place where we're, like we were talking about this morning, a place where, you know what, God's just rearranging the furniture and doing some things, and, and you know, some of you are going to like it and some of you aren't. I know that. I mean, that's what change does. Even, even again, we, we can look at it in a number of different ways. I, you know, I guess, and like I've told you before, you know, we look at everything and try to manage everything through a biblical perspective. Are we being biblical? Or are we just being traditional? And we have to look at all that. There's a lot of things we do because it's traditional. When you start to look at the foundations, there really isn't one. So we have to look at what it is that God has called us to build upon. And, and so going into this next year, I want to share with you some things. I want to finish this up because I believe this is vitally important, what we're going through because of where we're going, what it is that God is doing. There, there's a, a plan and a purpose that God has been laying out. And, I, and I'll share with you next week. I am going to share with you something that God uh, just really ministered to my heart that I want to share with your heart uh, about this place of, of Advent and the birth of Christ. Um, it's just, you know, an amazing time. We, can, we should never get tired of what God has done. You know what we should get tired of? The commercialization of it, the denial of it, the cultural uh, attack against that. We, we should get tired of that. But I also think that maybe in that, that God is wanting to shake up our house a little. And maybe God wants us to turn from what might just be traditional to getting into this place of what might be biblical. Yes. Help us, Lord. So in your home, and again, making your house that place where you begin to minister, sharing that story, sharing the gospel, sharing the word of God in your household, each and every one of you. It, it, again, it's, it's, it's a priority and, and it needs to be done. But that means that God will begin to shake some things up. Yes. And I want us to understand some of the things that may come. Because oftentimes, we, you know, the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks, because, you know, again, at a pivotal place in the ministry, there's a pivotal place that Jesus was in in, in Luke chapter 6. There was a pivot that was happening. There was this change that was about to happen. And Jesus very well knew it. And the, the ministry changed. I mean, again, it, I can say change, but it progressed. 
it, it continued to move, but there was a transition that was happening. And there are transitions in our lives, transitions that happen. There are things that we have to understand. And part of that is understanding that God has called us to what it is he wants us to do, that he has a specific plan for you. And it's going to be hard. And there's going to be obstacles. And there's going to be things that come against us. And if we're not prepared for some of those things, then we're never going to be able to make it through them. And therefore, I really feel in my heart to prepare you for what it is that, that is to come. And, and again, you may find you know, different ways of being prepared. This is not the end-all, be-all of all, you know, every kind of being ready for what God has. But I also believe that we have got to get to the place where we don't let every setback become a, a total roadblock that stops us. And, and again, that's what does happen so often. So I am going to finish up with you today in this part of Luke. And I have, God has just really blessed me and really encouraged me and really shown me all these different wonderful things and, and how they relate to so many things in our lives. You know, to, to places of leadership. And every one of you are leaders in one respect or another and therefore understanding that. We need to know wh what it is that's expected of us as leaders. And, and Jesus, he goes through this with these guys. He shares with them, what it, I mean, with us, through them, what that looks like. And I want to read through these scriptures again. There's a lot of depth to this. I want you to, again, even as you open up, I, you know, if, if you need some help, over the last, you know, I think it was, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, I, I took three or four weeks and just totally broke down that whole Christmas story. And we'll do it again. But I want you to begin to do those things in your home. Amen. If you need some help, it's on the website. You can go there and you can get that help. Or again, let the Holy Spirit speak to you as you open the scriptures and just by faith begin to read and to share and to have a heart for your family. If you have a heart to speak the word of God to your family, God's gonna speak the word of God to you. He'll honor that. So do it. That's the big thing, just do it. So let me read through this scripture one more time here. And, um, and I'll share with you some thoughts I, that I believe to be really important for us. And uh, you can go to the app. You can open up the sermon notes and follow along. Or you can watch on the screen here. In Luke chapter 6, let me, in verses 12 through 16. As again, it says, in these days. And the days are what I'm talking about here. These are days when Jesus was under great attack. He was beginning to be hated by the religious people. There was a point here where people were like looking for reasons to come against him. This was that turning point where the people that were following him, following him had to make some choices and some decisions as to whether they would continue or not. And in these days of transition, what does Jesus do? He goes out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you today, Lord, for the living God 
that you defeated death, hell, and the grave, that you overcame the obstacles that bound us in darkness, and you brought light into this world. And Lord God, I thank you that today your light has been shed in this place today, in these scriptures that maybe we've read through a hundred times but never really dug into what it is. Lord, today, help us to dig into what you're doing. Help us to see where you're uh, changing and transforming our lives. Open us up, Lord, where you could rearrange what it is, Lord, that you'd see and, and deem to be rearranged in the church, to be rearranged in our lives, to be rearranged in our families. Oh, God, we need you. And as your word has gone forth, let it bring life, let it bring light to all of those who have come today to come and see. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we, uh, we've been talking about this place of transition in the ministry where Jesus was calling people to this transition from the come and see to the go and die. He, he was sending them out. He was sending them as he called them. He called from those who were coming to see, and he sends them out to go and die. Much the same as the call that we have upon our lives today. And through the disciples that he chose to be apostles, we can see a lot of things. We can see some of the things that he set apart to do, some of the things and reasons why he chose who he chose, what he did through these men, and, and what, he, how, what he accomplished. And there's a lot for us to see in these leadership lessons that we've been looking at through these guys. And today I want to wrap this part up by talking about a couple of different things. First off, we look at the list of men that he chose and we have to look at who's on the team. We started talking about that last week. Of those who are on the team, first we know that Peter was on the team. We talked about that last week, how Peter was, uh, was the, the leader of this group of men, how Peter was somebody that in the flesh or in, in his humanness was the leader of this group of apostles. He was the one, if you look at every list, he was listed first on every single one of those lists, and Peter was the leader. But who's the last guy on the list? The la in every list, Judas is last. Why? What's the, what's the, what's the importance of that? Why, I mean, if, if he was going to do what he was going to do, why, why is he listed here? God has a reason. So what's the reason? As I'm looking through this and praying about this, the, uh, this next point comes up, and that's hurt before fruit. Church, think about this. Do you think Judas hurt Jesus? This man that he had poured himself into, he had prayed for him. He had fed him. He had loved on him. He had pulled him apart and poured himself into this guy. He had invested himself into this guy. And then Judas, in a moment, he betrays you with a kiss for simply 30 pieces of silver so that you can be murdered? Church, that hurts. I, he's, he was Jesus. He was in the flesh. He had feelings and emotions. That hurt. I, I don't care if he knew what would happen, or I don't care. You know what? That still hurt. 
that feeling of betrayal, that kind of betrayal, it hurts. Do you think that Judas hurt the apostles? I mean, think about some of the conversations. It's like, Judas, we, we thought that you were part of us. We thought we were friends. We thought we could trust you. We, what's going on here? Judas, what has happened? Judas was part of our life group with Jesus. And he murdered him. Listen, I don't know about you. I thought about that. Imagine somebody in your life group murdered your life group leader. Do you think that would affect your life group? Of course it would. It would create a tremendous amount of hurt and pain. Yes, it hurts. And some of the conversations, imagine some of the, the ways in which they, the late, late night conversations that they had. Like, what, what, what's happening here? What is going on with Judas? Was he doing this all along? Was he stealing all along? Has he just always been a wolf in sheep's clothing? Why didn't we see this? Why didn't Jesus see this? Has this been something going on all the time? Was he always a con man? Did he ever love Jesus? And all this going on. You know what? That's some serious hurt. And then think about all the other followers, all of those part of that come and see, those other disciples. Do you think that Judas hurt the other followers? Think about the tremendous amount of confusion that would have been brought into their lives through what Judas did. These guys were still, I mean, many of them had questions in their own mind about what they're doing. If you read Mark chapter 6, you see that, that Jesus made some strong statements and many disciples, this was a point where many disciples were starting to betray him, are starting to go away. These guys here, I mean, what's the deal with Judas? Some of those confused followers, do you think they might have wondered? You know, do you think, man, was, maybe Judas was right. I mean, all the religious people hate him. All of our leaders think that he's not of God. And, and so maybe, maybe Judas truly is like one of the prophets from old. Maybe Judas is the one who's right, standing up against Jesus and all the other disciples. Maybe he's the one that's right. I mean, the religious people, do you, they already hated him. Do you, think that they, do you think they were bothered by Judas as Judas criticized or, or did what he did to Jesus? Do you think that they were upset trying to stop him? No, come on, Judas. Thanks for helping us out. You, what a partner you are. We don't like him either. Do you think that some of the followers were confused? There was a lot of hurt there. A lot of hurt. And I, again, I was thinking about this, and I please understand, I, you know, there is absolutely nothing in me that is glad that Judas hung himself. Nothing at all in me that, that is happy about that. But it did simplify things. Imagine if he had not hung himself. Imagine if Judas would have just gone off and started his own ministry created his own religion. 
you know, we could have been Judas. <laughs> All sorts of things that could have happened if he'd have gone out. What if he'd have competed with the disciples? We could have had, through Judas, another religious war. A whole other state of confusion that could be infecting us today. What if Judas had gone out and planted a church? What if Judas had gone out and started a ministry? And gone out? What if Judas had simply gone out and begun to do what he has been trained by Jesus for three years to do? What would have happened? So, listen, I, I'm not, you know, again, I, I would not happy about the fact that he did what he did but I'm glad about the way things are turned out because listen you know in this world there really are there's sheep there's shepherds and there's wolves and, and again some will shepherd and some will do it as shepherds and some will shepherd and do it as wolves and Judas was a wolf and it hurt it hurt. There was a lot of hurt there. Can anybody relate? So hurt in your life, hurt at the hands of even those who are religious? Absolutely. But, church, please, in the providential sovereignty of God, even though all that being true, God is a providential, He is sovereign. He is God Almighty. God did not make Judas sin. He didn't. Judas did what he did by his own choice. He made the decision to do what he was doing. He made the decision to rip Jesus off. He did the decision. He opened up his heart. He allowed Satan to come in. But he has nobody to blame but himself. But, and this is the good news, because God is providential and sovereign, God was able to take what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And this is where hurt became fruit. Hurt became fruit. You know, you can see in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, talking about Joseph, and you know, who's been, who had more hurt than Joseph? Who had felt more betrayal than Joseph? Who knew what it was to have those who were supposed to love you and be with you and stand with you and to turn on you completely and to cast you out, to be killed, to be sold into slavery, to be turned on again? It was Joseph. And Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, what he said is incredible, but it still rings true for you and I today. He says this, he says, God will take what is intended for evil and use it for good in the saving of many lives. Now he's talking about that and he's also talking about here. Judas' betrayal, the murder of Jesus was intended for evil. The whole intention of Judas, the whole intent, it was for evil, but God used it for good and he used it for the saving of many lives. You know that today there are over a billion people on the earth that claim themselves to be Christians. 
Over a billion people that say Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for my sins. Jesus Christ redeemed me. He forgave me and he gave me eternal life as a gift of grace. Over a mil- billions of people in the world today. You know what God did? God took the worst horror of all time and he created the very greatest gift that's ever been given. Our God did that for us. And that's how God is. That's how God works. That's what he tells us. And it's still true today. In Romans 8 and verse 28, it says, God works out all things. Come on, all things. All things. What's included in all things? All things. God takes all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, that's all things. Sometimes we don't always like all things. But our God does this. Let me ask you, have you ever been betrayed? You ever had somebody turn their back on you when you thought that you should be able to count on them? You ever had somebody that you thought you should trust that hurt you instead? You ever been devastated by someone that was supposed to be a friend? Hurt by somebody that was supposed to protect you? Okay, here's where we don't always like it. Do you know that God can use that? Did God cause that? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that no matter what the cause, God can use that. God can bring it about and create fruit. You see, listen, church, you're, you're already hurting. And I'm not denying the hurt. I'm not saying that magically it goes away. I'm saying you're hurting. Why just hurt? Why just hurt? Why not take that hurt and let God bring forth fruit? And that means this. If you were molested as a child, work through that with Jesus. And you begin to reach out and help people that have been molested. In your life, if you, if you were raped, work through that with Jesus. And let Jesus bring about in you the ability to reach out and to help those that have been sinned against that way. Have you been cheated on? Work through it with Jesus and reach out and help those who have experienced that kind of sin in their life. Did you have a parent that left when you were a little kid? Work through it with Jesus. And let him help you. If you're a, if you're a man that, whose dad or a woman whose dad left, you know what? Reach out. Begin to let Jesus work through that hurt and work through that pain. And use that pain to become fruit by reaching out. And you becoming the best dad you can be. And you reach out and begin to help other dads be the best dads they can be also. The best mom that you can be to help the moms become what Jesus has called them to be. Your spouse commit adultery? Use that, work through it, and help the others that have been devastated by adultery. Church, you got cancer? Use it to help others that are battling cancer.
no matter what it is or where you're at, in God's hands, hurt becomes fruit. Because you know what this is? This is just another all things. All things. And God is able and willing to do that. Now, part of that then is to understand why are we talking about this? Because you know what? In ministry, and you're called to ministry, okay? It doesn't, may not be, you know, here in the church, but you're called to ministry, every one of you. Amen. And in ministry is where you will experience some of the most difficult, heartbreaking loss that you can ever imagine. It's a painful part of ministry, but it's a real part of ministry, and you can't get away from it. And if you're going to minister, this is going to happen to you. It's going to. And if you don't know about it, if I don't take the time to talk to you about it, if God wasn't sharing this through the word with us, then what would happen is we'd experience that kind of hurt and betrayal in ministry and think, this isn't for me. I got to get out of here. And so we need to talk about that because, again, I can tell you, man, oh, man, the hurt in ministry. There are people that I pray for every single day because I can't get them off my heart and I can't get them out of my mind. There are people that I have to stand and intercede for, people that I have to pray for because of the kind of hurt or betrayal that I have felt in the past by those who, honestly, people... People that I poured my heart and soul into. And please, I am not saying this because I want you to feel sorry for me. This is a place of victory. I'm saying this because you're going to experience it too. But there are people that I poured my heart into, poured my soul into, poured my time into, poured efforts into. And in a moment, they made a decision to just walk away. Not to, I mean, to where they're honestly just not walking with Jesus anymore. Talking about people that just walked completely away from God, from Jesus, from the, everything that's poured into them, and they've shipwrecked their life. And now they're struggling maritally, sexually, financially, spiritually, in all one or all of those ways. It's just bad. And oftentimes, it's like people that are just completely set on self-destruction. And it's hard. Church, it hurts. It keeps me up at night. That keeps me up at night. And it will you too. And it keeps me praying. And it hurts. But what I want for those people more than anything else is I am waiting, I am anticipating, and I cannot wait for the day when God takes their hurt and it becomes fruit. And I am eagerly anticipating the day when God takes that hurt and it becomes fruit. Because the promise is for both. And it's for you as well. Church, this is a painful lesson but it's a leadership lesson that we all have to understand. Amen? Amen? The next thing I wanted to bring up real quick 
is um, in this place of leadership and understanding this. We've got to, as, a, as I told you last week, we're talking about not just individually, but as a church, as a whole. Don't, number nine is don't go diatrophies. I know, you guys were all wondering, when were you going to talk about diatrophies? I've been wondering about that, meditating on this guy, wondering when are we going to approach this difficult subject? Do you guys know who he is? He's mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned, I mean, one time, but he is mentioned in 3 John in chapter 1. It says this about him. It says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Diotrephes loved to be first. He wanted to be first in everything. You know, if you're going to be mentioned in the Bible for one thing, that's a sad thing to be mentioned for. It speaks to the pride. It speaks to the arrogance. It's, it speaks to the self-centeredness of this guy who wanted to have all the attention. And not only did he want to have all the attention, what that also meant was that he didn't want anybody else to therefore have that attention. And the truth is, is that some leaders are going to get attention. Hey, I, I mean, again, as, as the pastor of the church, when people want to talk to the pastor or do something for the church or help, what, they want to talk to me. When we're given an award or they want to do, they call me. Does that mean that I'm more important than anybody else? No, it just means that I represent us in that way. And, you know, again, it's just some of us get more attention that way. I tell you what, oftentimes that also means I get attention I really don't want. Standing in the gap for some of you. It happens. But the sin of Diotrephes was I don't want to be on the team. He said, I got to be the face of the team. I don't just want to humbly serve. I want my name to be famous. I want to be known. And, and I, again, as I was reading through the John's epistles and, and looking at all this, and I was reminded how, how you know, today we live in such a, a, a celebrity-crazed environment today. I mean, we live in this place where we are addicted to celebrities and addicted to things. And, and again, you may think, oh, not me. But how do you think TMZ, how do you think People Magazine make their money? It's by people that are addicted to what's going on in other people's lives. I find it so weird. I'm standing at the checker stand, you know, checking out at the store, and I look at these magazines on there, and there's all these magazines. You know that they're popular magazines because that's why they put them right there by the check stand. And so I'm looking at these, and I'm looking at People Magazine and all these, and I'm looking at the, the pictures, and it's like, I don't know any of them. Who are these people? But obviously they're famous. Well, how did they get famous? Why were they famous? What did this girl do besides carry a dog around in her purse? I mean, really, what did she do? Why is it that she's famous that way? Why is it that we look to that? You know what she did? Nothing, church, nothing. Do you know why people become famous like that? Because we're desperate for someone to talk about.
Do you know what the sin of diatrophies is? I want them to talk about me, not Jesus. You know, Jesus chose 12 guys, right? 12 apostles. And they don't all get the same equal access. They don't all get the same mentions. I was amazed when I looked this up. But you know, in, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then also the book of Acts, if you add those five books together, do you know that in, the, in those books, not all of the apostles are mentioned the same number of times? Do you know Peter, in those five books, Peter was mentioned 189 times. That's, that's, more, that's almost double what all the rest of them combined were mentioned. John was mentioned 50 times. Philip was mentioned 17 times, Andrew 13 times, Thomas 11 times, Matthew, who is also Levi, 9 times, James, the son of Alphaeus, 7 times, Thaddeus or Judas. You know, you wonder why some of these guys had two names. Can you imagine having the name Judas? Like, poor guy? Imagine the conversations that he had. I was thinking about this. Imagine the conversations. Like he walks up to a group of people and, he, and, and they say, hey, what, what, do you, what do you do? Oh, I'm an apostle. Oh, awesome. What's your name? Judas. Oh, oh. I heard about you. No, 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 no. Listen, no. I also go by Thaddeus. Call me Thaddeus. I want to be Thaddeus, all right? No more Judas. I'm Thaddeus, Okay. Simon the Zealot was mentioned four times. Bartholomew, which also Nathaniel, was mentioned once. Judas was mentioned 22 times. But this is the point. People like Peter get mentioned a lot. Others got mentioned hardly at all. Thinking about a Bible study, that you want to do a brief Bible study, do it on Bartholomew. You could just send it all out in a text message. You've got enough characters. You know, I mean, my name is Bartholomew. I'm an apostle. <laughs> Bible study over. <laughs> what about Peter? We know a lot about Peter. The Lord told Peter that he was going to uh, deny the Lord three times. And Peter denied the Lord three times. We know that he was impetuous. We knew that he, was, he got angry pretty easy. He reached out. He cut a guy's ear off. We know a lot about him. What about Thomas, the doubter? Thomas. The guy had one bad day. I mean, even in that, he was just trying to be spiritual. And look what happens. One bad day, and now he's known forever and ever as Thomas the Doubter. Like, come on! I mean, how frustrating would that be for him? I'd think it would be frustrating. A lot of people in the scriptures we don't know anything about. A lot of these guys, we don't know anything about them. But here's the deal. On a team, especially on a team that God is orchestrating, God is putting together a team of good people, a team of diverse people, a team of unique people, a team that, that's, a, that's got a weird makeup. On a team like that, some people are gonna be really prominent and others are gonna be less prominent. 
And my point, church, is this. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. Now, for some of you, let me also say this. Some of you, God has called you to an upfront ministry. God has called you to an outfront kind of ministry, to a public kind of ministry. God has called some of you to be able to stand up to do what it is that God's called you to do. God has called some of you to be out front. Stop being a chicken. Okay, quit backing away. Quit, 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 stop with the false humility and just say, okay, God, whatever you want to do. God, some of you, God wants you to be visible. God wants you to be in the public. God wants you to be out there. God's made you for that. Don't be afraid. Do it. And for some of you, that's not for you. You know what? If that's not for you, if that's not what God has for you, then be the best number two person you can be. You get out there and you get things done. You know what? Even if it's not, it's not where you're supposed to be, then be the best number three that you can be to make sure that the things get done and they get done well and they get done in order and that things get done. Be the best you can be at doing what God has done. Because listen to this. Those guys, all 12 of those guys, they all, well, all 11 of those guys, 12 once you add in at the end, all of them did very important stuff. They all went out and did great and mighty things. They all were sent out. They all went out. And they all did what Jesus had called them to do when they went out. They all had important things to do. The point is, is that some of them got more publicity than others. Some of them were out front more and some were behind the scenes. And you know what? That's okay. But I also want you to know that church, each one of them, are equally important and not one is more important or less important than the other. Amen. And I sincerely, sincerely say that to you. So let me finish with this last one. This is I actually the whole, this whole thing started with this and I, I now have added so that it's the end of things, but I think it's appropriate for us. And the last thing that I want to mention or talk about today is this. Number 10, die with your boots on. Die with your boots on. Be a strong finisher. Everybody can start strong. But it takes some real strength, character to finish strong. Die with your boots on. And, and you know what the truth is? Is that you're either going to go out like Jesus, or you're going to go out like Judas. Each and every one of our life is going to end in one way or the other. You're going to go out like Jesus, which means you're going to go out being faithful to the end, being a faithful follower, a finisher, and one who's willing to say no to the things we need to say no to, and yes to the things that we need to say yes to, because I am following Jesus, and I don't care what it costs. I'm going to finish this race strong, and I'm going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or you'll go out like Judas, prematurely, tragically, rebelliously, shamefully, lazily. Everyone is going to finish like one or the other. And, and, and again, my point is this. I want you, I want you to keep your boots on. 
I want you to keep your boots on. Finish strong. Run the race that God has called you to. Don't let the roadblocks stop you. Let them become obstacles that strengthen you. It's like, a, it's like the obstacle course that the Marines have to go through. It's not intended to stop. It's intended to strengthen And and again, we see these things in our life. We need to realize that God wants to use them in our lives to strengthen us. And we need to stand firm. We need to know this is what God has given me to do. And I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to be what God has called me to be. And I'm going to finish this race and I'm going to finish strong. And every single one of you in this place, you have something that God has called you to. If you are born again, if you are spirit filled, God says you are my masterpiece that you are a custom-crafted, one-of-a-kind creation of God Almighty that has a specific purpose and plan, and the only thing that can stop you from that is you. God has given you everything you need to walk out the life that he has ordained for you. God has given you everything, and he says that he's ordained these things in advance. That means that God has things that he's already planned for you to do. So God has specific things that he has called you to, places that God wants you to go, things that he has created you, skillfully, wonderfully, uniquely made you so that he could perfectly fit you into the place that he created in advance for you. Every one of you has purpose and plans in the hand and plan of God. Will we step out and do it? Will we run the race? So maybe if you're like me, maybe you wonder, well, what happened to these guys? These, these disciples, what happened to them? We know in the Bible that, that they went forward. We know that you know, they went on and did things. Some of them, at times, some of them, just flat out, they were cowards. They ran. They, they did. They took off. I told you last week. I, again, it's pretty amazing that when push really came to shove and Jesus was going to the cross, where were all the men? Where were the apostles? And the only ones left were some of the women. Thank God. But the disciples... The apostles, they did toughen up. They were in that room when Jesus came in, the resurrected Christ. And they had an experience with him. And they saw him. And Jesus then went and he, came, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And these men who saw Jesus, they saw the resurrected Christ. They were baptized in the fire and the passion of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And at that point, you know what? Their spine became strong. There was a strength that rose up in them and they reached out. And at that point, at that point, they became willing to preach. They became willing to teach. They became willing to step up. They became willing to step out. They began willing to go through whatever it was that they had to go through to do what God had called them to do. John went forward from this point and wrote five books of the Bible after this. Peter, he wrote two books of the Bible. These guys now, at this point in ministry, they begun to get stuff done. They begun to change the world. They began to change everything by getting these things done. But you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us how they finished. Doesn't tell us what happened to them. And for that, we we have to go to history. And and my question about these guys is, did they die with their boots on? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you some stories uh, historically from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's an amazing book. It's got all sorts of information. It's been revised a number of times. It was first written in 1559 and, uh, and, and a number of wonderful things that you'll find in there. But I want to share some things with you as I close this up today. What about James? Did he die with his boots on? I mean, what happened to him? He was the, did you know he was the first apostle to suffer martyrdom, uh, uh, or to suffer after the martyrdom of Stephen? It was James, the brother of John. And this is what it said about him. It said, Clement tells us, when this James was brought to the tribunal seat, he that brought him, the man who, who accused him, the man who was purposeful in having him here before the tribunal seat, the man that brought him and was the cause of his trouble, seeing that he was condemned and he should suffer death, was in such sort. He was moved within his heart and conscience, so moved that he went to the execution and confessed himself false and of his own accord to be a Christian. And so they were led forth together. While on the way, he desired of James to forgive him for what he had done. After James had a little pause, he turned to him and said, peace to thee, my brother, and kissed him, and both were beheaded. James had a critic that wanted him murdered. James had a Judas of himself. And James had a Judas that while they were on their way to be killed, repented, and Judas looked to the man responsible for his death who just said, I'm sorry. And said, you know what? I forgive you. Let's go be beheaded together. You know what? He died with his boots on. What about Thomas, the doubter? Listen to this. Thomas, the doubter, he preached to the Parthians the Medes, the Persians, the Carmenians, the Hycarians, the Bactrians, the Margians. Does that sound like a doubter? He was killed in Kalamina, India. He died with his boots on. Most of these men, they died, they were killed. Most of these men were, they died a, a, a martyr's death. They were murdered. Do you know what happens when people start giving their life for the cause of the gospel? All of a sudden, those who are just playing church stop playing church. And either, one, they step up for Jesus and they say, Lord, here I am, send me. And they transform from the come and see gospel, from the come and see disciple followers to the go and die. Amen. Or, like Judas, and they go from this place, they just walk away. They go from the come and see, and the call comes out, and they become the just go away. They just walk away. That's some of the change that God will bring. What about Simon? Simon, the brother of Jude and James, the younger, was bishop of Jerusalem after James, Jesus' brother after him. He was crucified in Egypt. Cru he was crucified. Sometimes I think we take light of that word. 
the most horrific kind of painful, agonizing death that the professional Roman killers could come up with to create the most amount of pain and suffering that could be inflicted upon a human being. And they came up with crucifixion. He was crucified. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think he was absolutely right when he said this, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Come and die. What do you think it means when, when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me? That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to transition. That's what it means. That's what it is in that way of life. That we go after Jesus. To give your life for what Jesus gave his life. Amen. For the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the church. And Simon, the apostle, he was crucified because that's what he did. Bartholomew, the guy that got one line. Bartholomew is said to have preached in India and translated the gospel of Matthew into their tongue. He was beaten, crucified, and beheaded. All because his name was mentioned? Now, he died with his boots on. What about Andrew? Peter's, Peter's brother was crucified. It says this about him, and I wanted to read this to you. When Andrew, through his diligent preaching, had brought many to the faith of Christ, Aegis, the governor, asked permission to the Roman Senate to force all Christians to sacrifice to and honor the Roman idols. Andrew thought he should resist Aegis, and he went to him and telling him that a judge of men should first know and worship as judge in heaven. And he said, while worshiping the true God, Andrew said he should banish all false gods and blind idols from his mind. Well, furious at Andrew, Aegeus demanded to know if he was the man who had recently overthrown the temples of the gods and persuaded men to become Christians, a superstitious sect that had recently been declared illegal by the Romans. And Andrew replied this, the rulers of Rome didn't understand the truth. The Son of God who came into the world for man's sake taught that the Roman gods were devils, enemies of mankind, teaching men to offend God and causing him to turn away from them. By serving the devil, men fall into all kinds of wickedness. And Andrew said, and after they die, nothing but their evil deeds are remembered. The proconsul ordered Andrew not to preach these things anymore or he would face a speedy crucifixion. I thought... How many of us would stop preaching if we knew that we were going to be crucified? I mean, come on, let's face it. We have a hard time if somebody's going to ridicule us or just not listen to us. But Andrew, whereupon Andrew replied, and listen to this, I have not... I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. He was immediately condemned to be crucified. Andrew, going towards the place of execution and seeing the cross waiting for him, never changed his expression. Neither did he fail in his speech. His body fainted not, nor did his reason fail him as often happens to men about to die. He said, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyful and desirously, I come to you being the scholar of him which did hang on you, because I have been your lover and your to embrace you wow. Amen. he's like you guys want to crucify me 
I think this is a great spot right here. He died with his boots on. Matthew? Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews in the Hebrew tongue after he had converted Ethiopia and all Egypt. <laughs> Think he was busy? Hyrcanius the king sent someone to kill him by running him through with a spear. Philip, after years of preaching in Asia, uh, in Upper Asia, a, a totally demonic area, Philip was stoned, scourged, and crucified. And then Philip was buried in a grave with his daughter. Peter. Peter, it was during the first of the 10 persecutions that were stirred up by Nero at about 64 AD. His rage against Christians was so fierce that it was recorded, a man might see cities full of men's bodies, the old lying together with the young, and the dead bodies of women cast out naked without reverence of that sex in the open streets. And many Christians in those days thought that Nero was the Antichrist because of his cruelty and abominations. The apostle Peter was condemned to death during this persecution. And although some say that he escaped, it is known that many Christians encouraged him to leave the city. And the story goes that as he came to the city gates, Peter saw Jesus coming to meet him. Lord, where are you going? Peter asked. I am coming again to be crucified, was the answer. Seeing that his suffering was understood, Peter turned around, returned to the city where Jerome tells us he was crucified upside down at his own request, saying he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner his Lord was. He died with his boots on. Last one I want to mention is John. The second persecution in the, the role, there was 10 different places of persecution in, in the, the stories. You, you can read about that. But the second persecution began during the reign of Domitian. And uh, he was the brother of Titus. Domitian exiled John to the island of Patmos, a real place. You can actually go there if you wanted to. But Domitian, on Domitian's death, John was allowed to return to Ephesus in the year A.D. 70. He remained there until the reign of Trajan. Again, that was the next, the third uh, persecution and, and while he was there John was governing the churches of Asia and writing his gospel until he died at about the age of 100 John died at 100 100 and I can only imagine what his 100 year old body must have looked like scarred tattered torn up you can only imagine the kind of things that he had experienced I mean John before they exiled him they tried to kill him do you know how they tried to kill him they boiled him alive and he lived they boiled him alive and let him out of exile and you know what he did? He wrote books of the Bible. You know how he did it? As a boiled old man. He died with his boots on. Church, I am... I am so glad. Please don't take me wrong in these series of messages. I am so glad and I am so blessed and I am so thankful that you have come and seen.
that you come to see what God is doing, that you come to hear what God is saying, that you come to be a part of what God is doing in the church and in the community. I am so blessed and so glad that you do that. But I don't want to sell you a false gospel. And nor do I just want to sugarcoat something and give you a fuzzy view of what God is really looking for. Because what God is looking for, church, are those who are willing to go from the come and see to the go and die. That's what it's going to take as a church to do what God has called us to do. And my question is, will you die with your boots on? Will you? Let me also say this. There is absolutely no way that you can die with your boots on if you don't first choose to live with them on. So will you live with your boots on? Doing what God has called you to do. As I said, he's got a plan for every one of you. There's not a single one of you in this place that can hear my voice, that it is not true that God has a plan that he knew before your birth. Every single one of you. The question is, will you choose to follow after him and to do what he's called you to do? Or will you hear this difficult message, this difficult part of what God will call each and every one of us to do and at some point it will become revelation for all of us and either we will say yes Lord and we will say here I am send me yes Lord I will go and die or we'll say no I can't and we'll just go away what will you do Will you bow your heads with me? Ask the Lord. Even ask him now. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I need you today, Lord, to bring the fire, the passion. I need you today, Lord, to bring your love for me. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we come to you and thank you, Lord God. And I pray for us as a people today. And Lord, we're thankful for the day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, that we live in a day and an age where where, where so many can come and see. Whether it's through a, a church service or online or some crusade or, or, or somebody that we're listening to, all of these opportunities that we have to come and see. For those who are just coming and seeing in in life groups. Lord, we thank you for every single one of those opportunities that you bring us. There's just so many today, Lord, opportunities that have never before been offered in the history of the world. And, And God, today we rejoice for that. We rejoice in every one of those opportunities that people could hear the Bible and receive you into their lives that people could see you beginning to change and transform their lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you are the one that is able. And I pray that if there's any today that are apart from you, that they would call upon your name, 
that they would say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Come into my life, Lord God. I commit myself to follow you. Remove my sins. Cleanse me of every guilt. And make me new today, Lord. And if that's you, you just tell him. You say that. You speak that out to him. Call upon his name. Put your trust in him. But God, for the balance of the church, I I pray today, Lord, that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, that our hearts, our minds, the lives of those that are here, people, Lord God, that make up the body of Christ, that we would respond to the call, that we would respond to the call, not just to receive you, but to go, to go be the Christians, to go be those that we would respond to your call and persevere through the difficulties, persevere as Christians should, to stand firm and to stand strong in the midst of the difficulties and persecutions and to not be swayed by the circumstances around us, but to know the God that lives within us and to respond to you and you alone. I pray today, Lord, for a church that would persevere, a church that would stand firm, just like those men that we read about. Lord, I pray for a church of men and women who would do just that, that we would put our boots on and say, Lord God, until the end, let me die, let me live, and then let me die with these boots on serving you Lord God following you doing what you've called me to do Lord God and whatever it comes in suffering or it comes in grace I thank you that in all things as we put it into your hands you are able to bring about fruit fruit for each and every one of us I pray that today Lord that the come and see would transition to the go and die Just in a minute here, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me, let me just ask you, not because there's something secret, <coughs> but because I don't want you to be distracted. What will you do with what God has spoken to you today? What will you do with the message? What will you do with these 12 apostles? what Jesus teaches us through them. Now ask the Holy Spirit to help you. What's impossible for us is absolutely possible with Him. Pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Church, I love you. And I am so blessed by you. I'm blessed by each and every one of you. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a a beautiful group of believers such as you. You are a family that God has richly blessed us with. And I want you to know that everything that I have said, everything that I've talked about comes to you from a heart that loves you and wants the very, very best for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, go be the church. Amen? Go be the light. Go be what God has called you to be. Go be the church. God bless you all. Have a beautiful day. Don't forget, be a part of a life group. 
Call and be a part of a life group. Check it out, okay? God bless you all. Have a good day.